0: a series of sermons on discipleship. We're catching up with Jesus, and we're looking at Matthew 18. So this is the reading of God's holy word. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put it in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Verse 10 says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them had gone astray, does he leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is the will, it is not the will of my Father who... Who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish Amen, this is a reading of God's word, please join me in a word of prayer Father we give you thanks this morning in midst of a lot of things a lot of things that are out of our control uh, we surrender to you and we uh, we confess the illusion that we often have that we are in control of our lives and times like this remind us that we are powerless over so many things namely sickness and death and we know that those things are held in your hand and we need know God that we need your wisdom uh, to guide us we need your truth to shape us we need your hope to lead us so I pray that during this time that you would speak to us uh, online, digitally wherever we are that this would still be a moment to connect to your truths, to your people, and mostly to you. We give you thanks for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to start by thanking the worship team for coming out and just joining us here and sacrificing your time and just being here leading God's people online. I want to thank Brent uh, for setting up the live stream. I know there's so many moving parts. It's pretty complicated, but for his efforts want to thank him as well. And, you know, for all of you who are joining us online, or in some recorded form, or on the podcast later on, and I really want to encourage you during this time, we're in really uncharted waters. I don't think any one of us have experienced anything like this. And, um, but I think that, as I mentioned last week, Sermon, even though we haven't experienced this situation, the church has experienced this situation uh, I mentioned last week how, in centuries past, especially the second and third centuries, the church historically has experienced uh, crisis and pandemics. Um, and instead of folding, instead of dying in those times of pandemic, historically the church has risen up during these times of crisis, during these times of during a time of pandemic, during times of persecution. That when there is death that is often the, the backdrop for God's people to come alive and to tell and share and testify to the watching world the hope that we have in Christ. And my hope is that as God's people, that we would use this as an opportunity to be people of faith, to be people of hope, to testify to all that God is for us in Christ uh, last week I looked at how Jesus is molding, calling his disciples. He's discipling them. He's leading them. Last week I looked at how Jesus is calling his disciples in times of chaos to be people of faith. And this week I want to look at how Jesus is calling his people not just to be people of faith, to, but to be people of spiritual greatness. Uh, we're going to talk about this idea of what is what does it mean to be spiritually great And more than ever, especially in times of chaos and in darkness, we need people of great faith. Uh, We need spiritually great people during these times. So what does that look like? We need spiritually great people to lead us. We need spiritual great people to be light for all of us. So what does that mean? And today I want to look at how Jesus talks about spiritual greatness, but how it's almost the opposite of what we think it is. Uh, Jesus talks about spiritually great people, and he talks about three things. What is a spiritually great person? A spiritually great person is three things. This morning, it's being little, loving the little ones, and doing little things. Uh, we're going to talk about the idea is of greatness is to be small. And there's a great peace that comes from being little. I want to start with this idea of being little. We have been going through a series on the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew throughout the gospel of Matthew has 12 disciples and he's just trying to train them up. He's trying to disciple them, encourage them, bless them. And in chapter 17, he lays it all on the disciples what the plan is. Chapter 17, he tells the disciples they, that he is going to go to the cross, die, resurrect And he's trying to gear them up for that suffering. And he says, not only am I going to suffer, I want you to take up your cross and follow me on this road of suffering. And he's trying to disciple them and lead them there. But even as Jesus is talking about his death, the disciples are sidetracked. They are not having their mind on suffering. Their focus is on glory. Jesus is trying to get them to understand suffering, redemptive suffering. Their mind is focused on glory. How do we see that? Matthew 18, verse 1. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is trying to get them to focus on the cross. They're focused on who is the greatest. There were 12 disciples and they're arguing about like, where am I in the pecking order with the other disciples? They're having a argument about who is the greatest. Uh, they, are all, they are having a GOAT argument. GOAT stands for greatest of all time. People have GOAT arguments all the time. Who's the greatest athlete? Who's the greatest basketball player? Is it Jordan? Is it LeBron? Who's the greatest athlete? Is it Muhammad Ali? Uh, Tom Brady? And we have all kinds of arguments about who is the greatest and we argue about that amongst about other people, about athletes, but also amongst ourselves. We're always kind of comparing ourselves to other people. And we are ranking ourselves. Who's the smartest? Who's the most spiritual? That was There was a natural rivalry between the 12 disciples. There are 12 of them. And they naturally compared themselves to each other. And it's especially important because Jesus says he's going to die, resurrect, and ascend to heaven. So the question is, when Jesus goes, who's in charge? Who's the leader? Who is the number one disciple? Who's next in line? And they're arguing about that. Who is the greatest? You know, my kids, I have three kids, and they constantly are arguing amongst themselves about that. As well, sometimes they have contests. They draw drawings, and they bring it to me, and they say, "Dad, which is the best drawing? What is what is the who's the best artist?" And of course, uh, I refuse to answer the question, right? Even though I do have a favorite, but I refuse to answer the question because I want to say that you all you all are great. It's all good. You would think Jesus would, when they ask him, Jesus, who is the greatest? You might think that Jesus would not answer that question. He would say, there is no greatest. But Jesus actually does answer the question. He says, there is a paradigm, there is a standard of greatness. But he says, it's not what you think it is. Uh, Jesus, in verse 2, says, I'll show you greatness. This is a picture of greatness. He takes a two-year-old child Puts it right in the circle amongst the 12 disciples and says, this two-year-old child is a picture of greatness. This is what it means and looks like to be great. And it probably blows their mind. That's not what they're thinking about. Uh, this, that, that's a picture of greatness. You would think Jesus would take a scholar, a religious scholar... Who knows all about the Old Testament and has all kinds of knowledge about God. Who could memorize every part of that Hebrew scripture and say, that's greatness. Greatness is knowing a whole lot of things about God. Memorizing the scriptures. Having all kinds of doctrine and theology. That is greatness. You might think you'd take someone who is serving uh, and say, hey, this, is, this, this woman is a model of greatness. Greatness. But Jesus doesn't doesn't say those are the, the best examples. He takes a two year old child, says, That's greatness. That's greatness. For Jesus, how this Jesus describes greatness is to be great is to become small. The way up is actually the way down. In verse four, Jesus says we need to humble ourselves like a child. In the, in the first century, children were the lowest class of people. They had no rights. No one wanted to hear from them. They should not be seen. And Jesus says, that's, that's what I want. A Greatness first is humility. It means being a person of humility. C.S. Lewis describes humility as not thinking less of yourself. It's not about beating yourself up. But it's about thinking of yourself less. Uh, humility is self-forgetfulness. It's not about me. It's not about how I look, about my accomplishments. Secondly, to be like a child and to be great means dependence. That's the thing about children. Children understand their weakness. Children, my children, are always coming up to me asking me for things. They understand that they are not capable of certain things, and so they're always asking for help—help help with their homework. You help with getting things. Help with making lunch. Everything they're gonna cry out. Children cry out to their parents because they know they're not they're not caught up in their own. Uh, they're not caught up with their parents, but they are constantly crying out in need, and that's really a mark of spiritual maturity. Uh, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If anyone. Was, uh, didn't need to be dependent, it was Jesus. But Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, what is Jesus doing? He calls all of his 12 disciples together and he says to the disciples, guys, I need you. I'm about to face this cross. Would you just pray with me? Just put your hand on me and pray with me. I need you, disciples. You needed me, but I need you now. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cries out to his Father in such desperate measures that it says not only sweat but blood pours out from his his face. Jesus is pleading to his Father, Father, I need your help. I need your direction. If anyone didn't need to do that, it was Jesus. But Jesus models for us that true greatness is about dependence. Dependence. True greatness is leaning on our Father. The problem with a lot of men, not all men today, is that we're raised to believe that we're not supposed to need help. Needing help is a sign of weakness. We don't want to do that. Uh, When people ask me if I need something, my natural instinct is to say, no, I got it. I'm good. You need something, Dennis? No, I I got it. I, I can figure it out. Because I, w- I was raised to believe that manhood and maturity is about saying, no, I have it. I can figure it out. I got it. But Jesus teaches us that no, maturity is actually about being vulnerable. You know, sometimes when men or women, uh, we don't, we're not vulnerable. We don't let other people in. It creates ca- crazy mental health issues like anxiety and depression we isolate ourselves. And Jesus is teaching us a better way. Greatness, spiritual greatness is about humility. It's about being vulnerable. It's about letting other people in. It's learning to lean on other people. We're living in a time of great anxiety and panic right now. And it's easy when things are very chaotic to say, hey, I got to figure it out. I can, I can get through this thing. I really want to encourage you to use this season to cry out to God. I've been praying all this week. Lord, I have no idea what is happening. I need you to lead me. Give me your wisdom. Give me your peace. I need the prayers of other people. And during this season, I really encourage you, church, to cry out to God. Connect with other people. Let other people in to see your needs. Let them pray for you. Let them encourage you. Being small and humbling yourself is also a great blessing. You know, I, was, I, am, uh, I grew up the youngest of three kids. I have two older sisters, so I'm the youngest. And, you know, the thing about being small and being the youngest is that there's a blessing in that. Because I grew up being the youngest, and I had no responsibilities. You know, I could just be the entertainer of the family. I could just be I had no my older sister had to take care of the younger ones. They had all kinds of things they had to do. They helped me with my homework. But as the youngest I got I got no real responsibilities to other people. I knew my parents got to figure it figured out. I knew my sisters had me. You know when we humble ourselves and be and we are little in God's kingdom, it's actually a great blessing because we realize the responsibility is not on us. Worry is when you think it's all on you. I got to figure it out. That's why I got to panic. Peace comes when we realize it's all on him. God got me. That's on his shoulders. And I can have peace knowing that I'm small. He's great. I can lean on him. Jesus says spiritual greatness is about being small. It's about self-forgetfulness. It's dependence, vulnerability. It's a measure, the greatness of a man or woman is not that they got it all together, but they realize they don't. And they are so leaning on God and other people to have them. Here's the second thing. Uh, Spiritual greatness is not about just being little, but also having compassion on those who are little. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 16, verse 10. Matthew 18, rather, verse 10. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you in heaven, the angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus here says, not only must we be little, but we should also take special care to care for those who are little. And here, Jesus is taking that little, idea of little, metaphorically. He's not talking only about those who are physically little, but those people who are not in power, those people who are marginalized, those people who are powerless. Spiritually great people have humbled themselves to be little, but also they care for those who are also little. When you look at Jesus' ministry and miracles, they almost always focused on people who are sick, people who are disabled, people who are outcasts of society like prostitutes and tax gatherers, people who are demon-possessed. These were all people on the fringes of society that were not even allowed to worship with God's people in the temple. They were considered little. They were outsiders. They were excluded. And Jesus' ministry almost always focused on those little ones. He loved them like nobody else. He welcomed them into worship. And Jesus says, care for those little ones. In verse 10, he says something pretty extraordinary in verse 10. And it's easy to miss. This is what he says. In heaven, their angels, the angels of the little ones, Always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Angels literally, in the Greek, means messengers. And here Jesus says that these outsiders, these excluded, have angels. And they're always coming before the face of my Father. One way to look at that is to think about the angels giving a report to God the Father. Even though he knows all things. Giving a report to the Father, and you would think that the angels that report to the Father would only be telling him about the most important events of the time. You would think that these angels would t- be telling God the Father about what's happening with the president, with President Trump, with Vladimir Putin. You'd think they'd only be t- talking about global issues, the pandemic, the stock market, geopolitics. But Jesus, like, no, the thing that that I am concerned about, and talking about and thinking about and charging my angels with are people like maybe a man named Matthew on skid row. Uh, This Wednesday he was going through a lot of difficult things. It was raining. He was hungry and he came to a mission and he's starting to receive help and his heart is starting to turn toward you, God. The father's like, that's the news that concerns me. And I want to charge my angels concerning these outsiders, these little ones. The Father says, my heart beats for those people. That's not the front of my news feed. That's who I am concerned about. Not these big global events and these VIP people, but the little ones. That's who I am earnestly caring for. Why is that? So Jesus Anticipates that question In verse 12. He says think about a a shepherd who has a hundred sheep He has a hundred sheep. He loves those hundred sheep, but one of them goes astray is lost Doesn't he leave the 99 and go after that one? Chases him down in the middle of the night and when he finds it doesn't he put it on his shoulders and rejoice And the jesus is saying god has a special love for those outsiders those sick, those weary. God has a special love for the little ones. And God says, I want you to have a heart like that, like, like my father. Here at City Light, uh, we have a mercy team researching the needs of our city, whether it be homelessness or teenagers or uh, immigrants How can we care for those little ones? Right now is a moment of great need. Because of the coronavirus, there are so many people in need, elderly. People who are working low wage jobs that are out of work. And this is a moment for God's people to care for those who are in need. I recently heard an interview about a woman who is going to a a supermarket. And at the supermarket, of course, there's all these crazy lines. I'm sure you know about them. And as she was going into the supermarket, she heard uh, someone yelling at her from, the, from another car. So this woman, a young woman in her 20s, goes up to this car. And there was an elderly couple there. They're in the 80s. And this, this man explained how he's afraid to go to this crowded supermarket because he's afraid of catching coronavirus. So he asked her, can you, can you, there's this list, I have money, can you shop for us? Gave her a $100 bill. Gave her that, that list of things. And she was, of course I will. She went in that crowded. It took her an hour to get everything she had. Everything they needed. She returned with all of their groceries. All of their needs. Gave her the change. Got, got their number. To see if they needed that again. And it was just someone being aware Of another person in need. That that couple said that we have been waiting in their car for almost an hour for help. This is an opportunity for Christian people. Especially in the midst of all that is around us. To show the love and compassion for those who are in need. Last week I talked about the power of Christian witness during this time. And I talked about the 3rd century. I want to read another quote. It's from a 3rd century uh, bishop. And he talked about during the Ebola crisis in the third century, uh, there was great needs. People were getting infected. They were leaving people who were infected for dead. There were social distancing with, from a, to an extreme degree. Leaving people. And this is what they say about how Christians responded. Heedless of dangers, they took charge of the sick. Attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ... And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Dionysius says that Christians became an army of nurses. And when everyone else was fleeing, uh, they approached the danger. They had a hope that they had beyond this life. That's why he says they were serenely happy in it. You had a hope beyond this life, this world. These were Christians caring for the least of these. Jesus says that spiritually great people, uh, they become little. They care for those who are little. And here's the final thing. They do little things. You know, our culture is about big numbers, uh, big acts, getting the likes, getting the attention, uh, big acts that a lot of people can applaud. And sometimes we can take that in a spiritual way as well. We want to do great things for God. But what does it mean to be doing great things for God? Well, Jesus breaks it down. He says that it's not about these extreme actions, but it's about ordinary acts of compassion for ordinary people. That's what it means. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the final judgment. He says, one day we're all going to stand before God the Father. We're all going to stand. Each man and woman will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And how will he judge us? And he says he's going to take the righteous on the right hand. And he is going to commend them because they cared for Jesus when he was sick. When he was hungry. When he was naked. When he was thirsty. They, they visited him. They cared for him. And it says in Matthew 25 that the righteous, they're confused. They're like, Jesus, we didn't ever see you. We didn't ever feed you. We didn't ever give you a cup of cold water. But this is what Jesus says. And when, when, they said, when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, what? To one of the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. Jesus says, whenever you do anything for the least, again, the little, the small, the outcast, the strangers, the homeless, the broken. He says, whenever you do it for the least of these, that's for me. And what did they do for Jesus? Was it extraordinary acts of sacrifice? It was simple, little things. Jesus commends like helping someone get a drink of water. Like Donating your extra clothing to a nonprofit. Like visiting someone who's sick, checking in on them. These are neighborly things, these are ordinary things. Jesus doesn't just value flamboyant acts of sacrifice, but small acts of service. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. I love the phrase, this phrase everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. You know, everyone wants to do these grand acts. But no one wants to do the ordinary things like doing the dishes. You know, I want to encourage you this week to do ordinary things for your neighbor, for those people in the church. I want to encourage you to check in with people. uh, Text them. Text people in the church. Encourage them with your words. uh, Check in on them. See if they have any needs. Uh, Bless people. With ordinary, ask your neighbors if they have any needs. Do, they, do you need toilet po- paper? <laughs> it's running out. Do you need any canned goods or a meal? I want to bless you with that. It's ordinary acts of service and sacrifice. And Jesus says, when it's all said and done, I am going to ask you about these ordinary acts and they're going to be big for me. They're big in my kingdom. I can use that. You know, and as we close, the thing that drives all of this is the gospel. Ultimately, what drives this paradigm of small things is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus loved us even though we were little. Uh, compared to God, we are infinitely small and, and uh, insignificant. Yet, God loves us. Yet the gospel is that Jesus came even when we had denied him, even when we had forgotten and, and rebelled against him, he came to us. Jesus, had, you would talk about social distancing, being distant from those who are diseased. Jesus, of all people, should have social distanced from us. We had a sickness called sin that was deadly, that was de- destroying everything in this world and turning it upside down. Yet the pure and holy Jesus came down to us and took his sickness upon us. I love how in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus treated the lepers. We talk about social distancing. That was practiced in the, Old, in the New Testament as well. Lepers, they were contagious, so they had to socially, be socially distant from others. That was mandated in the Old Testament and New Testament. You couldn't come close to a leper. If you came close to them, they had to yell out, unclean. That's how far you had to, they had to command people to be distant. And what did Jesus do to the lepers? He came near them, and what did he do to them? He touched them. He cleansed them by touching them. People who have never been touched before. And the idea is that Jesus took our leprosy, our sin, our filth upon himself. And that's what the cross is. Jesus takes it all on himself and he gives us all of his righteousness, his beauty, his purity. We call that double imputation. He takes our sin He gives us his perfect, beautiful, pure righteousness when we place our faith in him. God doesn't just love the best of humanity, but the worst, the least, the last. This morning, I want you to remember, you don't have to be extraordinary for God to love you. Uh, you, You can be a nobody, but God thinks of you as the great somebody. This morning, you could uh, have accomplished very little in your life, but God values you as his only child. You might be really far away from God this morning. You might feel like you haven't prayed in such a long time. But you know what? God has special love for you. Can you imagine that? The further you are from him, the more especially he loves you. He lavishes us with his love and attention and grace he loves us as his only children and that is the love of an infinite god no matter how small we feel so this morning i want you to live confidently in the love of god live confidently in the love of god this morning i want you to rejoice in your smallness knowing that he is great we have a Jesus who feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves. He walks on the waters. He heals those people who are sick, who are disabled, who are diseased, who are broken. And he brings them health and life. And he's the resurrection and the life. And this morning, trust him. In your smallness, he's great. And would you, after having receiving that grace, would you love also those people who are small? Would you invite them to the table? They're invited and would you rejoice in the love of God? And would you be a testimony to our great King, to our great Savior Jesus? Please join me in prayer. Lord, this morning we come to you from wherever we are, and we want to offer you a heart. I pray for those people who might be very confused. Experiencing the chaos of this world and this life. And I just pray, God, that we would rejoice in being small. Lord, I pray, God, that we would express our faith by crying out to you. I pray, God, for people who feel very broken down God to realize it's okay to be broken it's okay to be weak we confess that we are weak we confess that we are not in control this morning God we confess to you that we need you desperately so much this morning I pray that we would let you in I pray that we would let other people in this morning help us not to be ashamed of our weakness help us to rejoice in our weakness because we know that when we're weak God you are strong That when we go down, we can see how much greater you are. So I pray for a new day. I pray, God, for all people who are joining us, that we would be great lights in midst of panic, in midst of chaos. Help us to be people who would be people of peace and compassion. Teach us to do that, God. I give you thanks that we can have this time of worship. And I pray, God, as we now sing these songs, we're dismissed with a benediction, I pray that we would go out with your life and your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.